Welcome, gentlemen. We've got a room full of heroes here. Great to see you guys out here on a Saturday morning. There's nothing you'd rather do on a 75-degree Saturday than sit in church pews. But we are going to make it worth your while. This is going to be a great morning. I'm glad you guys all made uh, the point to be out here. This is awesome. Look around here. I mean, just look at all the men represented, and then look what's represented by each one of you guys here. Like we saw on the screen, I mean, the wife, kids, co-workers, all these people that are uniquely influenced by you that are going to be affected because of you taking the time to be here today. So congratulations to you guys for coming out and making this uh, important part of your weekend. Uh, my name is Mark. I lead up the Men of Valor men's ministry here at Christian Life Church. So welcome here. Just a housekeeping thing is if anybody needs to know where the bathroom is, out those doors and to the left and right around the corner there. That's where the bathrooms are if you need to take care of that. Um, before we get started, because you didn't come to hear me speak, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, what I want to do is, as I've been praying about this weekend and praying about this day, the verse that's just been coming to my mind is from Psalm 127 that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain that build it. So we've got great plans this morning. We've got quality speakers this morning. But it's not just an inspirational message. Unless the Lord is here, unless the Lord is present, unless the Holy Spirit is filling our speakers, we're laboring in vain. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to pray and invite God's presence here to be through our entire morning. So if you do me a favor, let's just close our eyes, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather with other brothers, to lock shields with other men, to realize the impact that each one of us is going to have uniquely on our atmosphere. I pray for Garth as he comes forward that you would empower him, give him your words to speak to us, for our breakout speakers, that you would do the same. Fill them up with your spirit so that overflows onto those that listen. I pray that you would honor each man as he has made the, made the effort to be here on this morning. Have your blessing over this entire day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, when I think of influence, there's a short list of guys that come to my mind that I thought I want to have come here and talk to you guys about influence. Last year we had Steve Sister. It was a great weekend for our first one. And right after that I started thinking, who can we get this year? And honestly, the first name I thought of uh, couldn't make it this morning. So uh, no. uh, the first name I thought of was Garth Heckman. And it's interesting because Garth and I, we, we know of each other, but we don't really have a real tight bond. But I know Garth through the Ascension Convention. He's friends with my brother, friends with Daryl, and um, there's relationships here with the church and with the college. And yet, that's the name that kept coming to mind. Someone that's going to speak to your hearts, that will challenge you, that won't mess around, but will tell you the way it is. And most importantly, he's lived in Wisconsin, Minnesota, but he's a Bears fan. Amen. So any... Which, if, if you want to know something about Packer fans, I have no problem alienating Packer fans. If you want to know something just about Packer fans, what does it say that they clapped for Vince Lombardi, but it was silent when Jesus' picture was up there? I mean, come on. Really. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe because one's dead and one's alive. Maybe that's it. I don't know. All right. But without me talking anymore, um, would you please give a warm welcome to Garth Heckman. Oh, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right, can I have the lights up just a little bit? I need everyone to stand up real quick, find a partner, and you're thinking, what kind of men's seminar is this? But, so let's find someone, face them. Don't greet them. We're not greeting each other. We're about to hate each other here, okay? Just find someone. No one should be, everybody needs someone. So if you don't get someone, find someone. Real quick. There's, there's, a, there's money involved here, gentlemen. So find somebody, find somebody. All right, we're going to have a thumb war. You know what a thumb war is? One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. Somebody's got to pin the other person. All right. So each round is 15 seconds. So hook up, hand to hand. If someone doesn't know what a thumb war is, explain to them real quick. Welcome them to the United States. And 
So ready? One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. Go at it. Pin him. Had you for a moment. <laughs> All right, if you lost, sit down. If you haven't completed, then you have to decide who won. If you lost, sit down. If you won, stay standing. If you won, stay standing. Find somebody else. Find somebody else. If you won, find somebody. If you won, find somebody else to go against. Find somebody else standing. Find somebody else standing to go against. We are dealing with men. What? If you won, find someone to go against. Hold on, I didn't say go. You guys are worse than junior hires. No, I have to say go. I have to say go. Hey, 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 I have to say go. Come on now. Bunch of rebels, ready? One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. That guy's like a cobra. He's like, ah. All right, if you won, stay standing. All right, game over, gentlemen. Somebody, somebody declare a winner. Find somebody. Find someone who's standing. There we go, mano a mano. Here we go. Man, who would have known Pastor Merrill was the thumb warrior champion? Okay. I'll count it off. Ready? One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. Are you guys even playing? Because it looks like you're dancing back there. Seriously. Okay, you two both sit down. This is embarrassing. Sit down. All right. Who, who won over here? You did? Oh, this is going to be good. Come forward, gentlemen. All right, here we go. All right. Captain America? You have to you have to go against Captain America. All right. So, whoever wins here gets lunch on me out there. Okay? Okay. I am going all out. I'm going all out. Look, I know what you're paying me, so I can't really afford much. So, all right, hook up. Here we go. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. We'll let this one go the distance, but oh, oh my goodness. Pastor Merrill rises to the top. Nice. That's impressive. I don't even want to know how you get so good at that. I don't even want to know. I'm not, I'm not sure. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for allowing me to come and share a few minutes this morning. I'll be sharing a little bit later in the day, but it's always good to be here. It's always good to drive back what I call home. I'm always excited. I do this every time I'm driving. I stop at a gas station. When we hit Illinois, I look around, and there's all kind of bear's hats and scarves and flags and pans, and I'm always like, oh, this feels so good. This feels so good. I mean, I have to drive through Packerland, which is bad enough, into, you know, Viking land, and it's just horrible. It's just horrible. So it's always good to be back. So thank you. So we as men, we are wired differently. One of the things that I love to study and continue to read up on is how the brain works. And I, I have Google alerts sent to me all the time on different brain research. Men, it's proven that we are wired differently when it comes to our brain versus women. And how many of you are happy for that? Okay. Yes. If you took more than 20 minutes to get ready this morning, you need a brain scan, okay? Uh, last night, Elijah, my, one of my best friends, and I were at the hotel. I said, hey, I'm getting up at this time. What time do you need to get up? Because what time do we need to be there? I said, 7.15. He's like, 7. I was like, oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's great. When I go with my wife somewhere, if I have to be somewhere at 7.15, she's got to get me up at 5. 5? That's, that's not right. That's not right. We're wired differently. In fact, they say that the way a man's brain is wired allows it to and lends itself to justification. Women get emotional and they just 
they just kind of break down and they kind of make excuses where a men's brain is wired to justify an action or something that they did. Reminds me of an old story about an older man, he's out in the woods, he's chopping down a tree and his axe slips out of his hand and drops into the river and sinks to the bottom. And he's just, he's just beside himself and he cries out to the Lord, Lord, help me. Sure enough, the Lord appears and he says, what's the matter, my son? He said, I was chopping this tree down, the axe slipped out of my hand, sunk into the river. The Lord goes down into the river and reappears with a solid gold axe. He says, is this your axe, my son? And the man goes, no, no, it's not. He says, okay. He goes back down into the river. The Lord comes back up a second time with a solid silver axe and says, is this your axe, my son? And again, he goes, swallows hard and says, no, no, Lord, it's not. He goes down a third time and he comes back up with this old rusty iron axe and he says, is this your axe? And the man goes, yes, Lord, that's my axe. And the father says, I am so proud of you. I'm going to give you all three axes. He's like, thank you, father. Thank you. Months later, he and his wife are walking down along the same riverbed. She falls into the river and sinks to the bottom. I ought to tell you what she was like if she sunk to the bottom. And he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. And the Lord comes and he says, what's the matter, my son? He says, my wife and I were walking along the riverbed and she fell into the river and she sunk to the bottom. So the Lord goes down to the bottom of the river. And he comes back up with Jennifer Lopez and says, is this your wife? And the man goes, yes, it is. <laughs> and the Lord says, I am so ashamed of you. Why did you lie to me? This is not your wife. And he said, let me explain, Father, let me explain. If I would have said no, you would have gone back down into the river and you would have come up with Penelope Cruz. And then I would have said no. This guy likes Latinos. And then, I, and then you would have went down into the river and then you would have come up with my wife and then I would have said yes and then you would have been so pleased that you would have given me all three women as my wives. And you know as a follower of your word, I can only have one wife. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So men can justify. We can justify anything. I'm in, uh, I love to power lift, have been a competitive power lifter for years. And one of the things that you notice, the new power lifter who just kind of gets all excited and talks and jumps on all the forums and all the blogs, posting all of his lifts, <clears throat> compared to the old time power lifter, those of us who are old and achy and have been through a few meets, we don't post what we're going to do at a powerlifting meeting. We've learned that what we say, everyone's going to remember. And so when you get up on the platform and you've been talking for months about how much you're going to lift, what you're going to squat, what you're going to deadlift, what you're going to bench, we realize, well, we'll figure that out when we get there. I'll tell you after my lift. But you get the young guys and like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then immediately following, because now we have our smartphones, as soon as the lift of an event is over, as soon as they get done with their squats and they don't hit their numbers or pull out their phone, and it's just a litany of justification and excuses, and it was my gear and my knee, I was dehydrated, I cut weight too fast, and all these different things. We were made to justify one of the dangers of being a man in my opinion. This morning, I want to take just a few minutes and talk to you and kind of set up what we're going to talk about later this, after, or later this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17, you don't have to turn there. Most of you probably know the story. It's a very, very well-known story. It's about David and Goliath. David, this young kid, I don't know if he was 14, 17, 18, he's a shepherd. He's watching over the sheep. His father, Jesse, says, I want you to take some cheese, some bread. I want you to go visit your, your brothers at the front line of this battle and uh, check in on them. And so as David goes down there, we know the story. The armies are separate. We have the Philistines on one side. We have the Israelites on the other. Goliath is out there. He's been walking around pacing for 30-plus days, calling someone out. Come on, send out your best guy. Send out your best guy. This has been going on for more than a month. Send out your best guy. Me against him, whoever wins, the other army will serve the other army, which was very common back then. So every day he's just going out there mocking, mocking, making fun of the Israelites. Every day he's just calling them out. David gets sent to the battle. So we're going to pick this up in 17, 
verse 20, and I find it ironic. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle, shouting the war cry. And Israel and Philistines drew up for battle, army against... Okay, hold on. I'll read that again. Verse 20. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host, the Israel army, was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. That strike anybody as odd? 30 days, you've got this giant out there calling you out, mocking you, making fun of you, making fun of your God, making fun of all your friends who are on the battle line. And so every day you get up and you go down to the battle line and on the way down to your battle line, you're doing your victory shout. We're going to get him, going to get yeah, 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 kill, 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 whatever you do. Like, yeah, 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 we got this. We got it. Today we're trying to get you ever see Ray Lewis when he walks out on the field? Kind of a Ray Lewis thing. Get down there, Spears. Who's it going to be? Who wants to do this? Who wants to go? You want to go? You want to go? I got a bad knee. I don't know that I could go out there today. Maybe tomorrow. Do you think you'll be here tomorrow? My knee might... Ah. I don't. How about you? You want to go? You oh elbow? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you hurt your elbow. Yeah. Thirty plus days, you go out to battle with a victory cry, with a victory shout, a war cry. At what point in a person's life? How many days does it take? Because I'm sure the first day they're going out to battle like. I think of the movie 300. I saw the, the one on TV. I never saw the original. I don't know how much different it is. But they're staking their, their spears, slamming it on their shields, making that noise. So you got to believe the first day, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. They get down there, yeah. At what point in that battle do you go from, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you get up in the morning, and put the fire out, yeah. All right, let's go, man. We got this. How many days does it take to go, is it time? It's time? Okay, all right, guys. All right, let's get up. Let's go. Come on, get up. Get up, get up. Let's go. Okay, yeah, put the fire out. Okay. All right, come on, let's do this. Let's go. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. I know, but we have to go. All right, ready? All right, who wants to start to cheer? Anybody? Anybody who wants to start to cheer? You want to start to cheer? No, you didn't. You haven't done, you know, you haven't done it yet. No, you have not done it yet. You want to start to cheer? Why don't you want to start to cheer? Okay, who wants to start to cheer? Okay, war cry. Come on, guys. We got to start a war cry. Let's go. Does it strike you as completely asinine that they would throw up a war cry knowing that they're going to go down to the line of battle and just stand there. All of you have either done this or heard this. At a football game, and the guy behind you is the toughest, smartest coach player in the world, even though he's 42 years old and 40 pounds overweight, and he's in the stands with you. And they're like, oh, I can't believe it. I would have crushed that guy. And you just want to look around and go, Really? Because you had to stop halfway up the, belt, up the steps to get to your seat. I thought you were sitting down there, and then I realized, no, you had to sit down and catch your breath to make it up to here. And you're going to crush that guy. But, like in all of our lives, and I'm guilty as this is, as well, it makes me think of how many times we as men, we come to Sunday service. Or we come to a men's seminar and we worship. Oh, God, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, oh, you're awesome. Thank you, Lord. And we just, oh, we feel it. We feel it. And then Monday morning, we go out to the battle. I don't know. I'm not going to. 
I don't know if I want to say anything or do anything. Or I don't. And we just falter. It's like we just trip. We get back to church Sunday morning. We praise God. We worship. Or we go to our men's Bible study, whatever it is. And we chant our war cry. And then we come back to the line of battle. And we just sit there quietly. Today is the day we have to stand. We have to take that step. It has to go beyond the war cry. It has to go to war. It has to go beyond the war cry to war. I, I think of the idea in the scripture here where the men at the front line of battle are ashamed. Truly what it is, they are ashamed. They go out and they just kind of stand there and like, I don't know. Now don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's fear. But after a while, that fear turns into shame. At first, I'm just afraid to go out into battle. I get, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I don't know. I, and then that fear starts to grow into shame. And then all of a sudden, you start to doubt yourself and who you are and everybody else. And you kind of walk around like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. There's a great book out called Power Versus Force. It's not a Christian book. But it studies the neurological patterns of the brain when tested against different emotions in our mind. So it actually tests the strength of one's body, physical ability, as well as their mental capacities when they are struck or when they are forced to feel certain emotions. So the worst emotion that affects you the, the worst, or the emotion that affects you the worst, is hate. When they can arouse someone to a point of hate, their body weakens, their mental function breaks down, their emotions flatline, they almost become more like an animal that's trapped than a man. In the top three things, number two is unforgiveness, and number three is shame. That causes a man to shut down and not be full capacity spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. When we as men start to feel shame, something happens. It changes who we are. It changes our behavior. I wish I for a second could see the day-to-day -day change of those men in that army and what took place as they stood online in battle and never took a step forward. Never took a step forward. I have to believe that over time, you saw them physically change. You saw them mentally change. You saw them emotionally change. Gentlemen, how has your wife seen you change because you have been ashamed to stand up and live that which you sing and cry about at Bible study or worship? I, it scares me to death to think that someday my wife will say, you're not the same guy I married. You used to be so on fire for God. And now, you just kind of, ah. Uh, all right, let's do this. Shame has an incredible, powerful, negative effect on us. And there's another shame here. This is the shame where Goliath comes out and he's screaming against Yahweh and he's screaming against the, uh, the Israelite army and all these different things. And David comes out and he says, he uses a really strong word and it's tied directly to shame. He says, I come out here because you defile my God. So if this is the center point, and uh, I don't really feel shame, I really don't feel shame, I, 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 you know, at a center point, I can reason, I have emotion, my spiritual health is okay. Now when I'm really on fire for God and there's no shame, if something comes up, I'm quick to say something, I'm quick to pray, I'm quick to give. And the more I step out for God and leave shame behind, the more I take that step and do the right thing. But on the other hand, is as the more I feel that shame and don't step forward and don't talk and don't pray and don't do the right thing, I continue to take farther steps this way. And David says, you have shamed my God. And he goes out there and he says it like he takes it personal. You shame my God. I, I love the story, the, the movie, The Last of the Mohicans, and there's a scene there at the end where, and I don't know if you've seen the movie, so it may not make sense, but there's a scene there where they capture the two sisters, the Indians do, and they're taking them up this mountain, and the two brothers and the, and the dad are running up after these women. 
And they're just taking out these Indians one by one, running up there, and the music. And it's just, just this grows, this crescendo. And it's like, I will not be stopped. I will not be stopped. You may kill me, but you're not going to stop me. Shame shuts you down and keeps you from going, I will not be stopped, to I will, let me think about it, to uh, probably not to, no, I'm not going to say anything. David comes out and says, you have defiled my God. The picture I have in my mind when I see that is David walking down with his cheese and his bread and he's probably got big baskets. He's got like eight or ten things of cheese and bread and probably had wine. Kids probably waited down. And it says he's coming down into the valley and he can hear Goliath yelling. He can hear Goliath yelling against his God. Screaming at the army. And I have to, everything in me has to believe that David is, after worshiping and singing and praying out in the field, he's hearing this joker and he's like, who the who is this? Can't see him through the trees. He's like, this has got to be a joke. You don't talk about God like that. Who? And he starts to run down into the valley. He wants to see what's going on. What's going on? And it says, in fact, when he gets there, his whole mind the whole time is, who's taking this dude out? Somebody's taking this dude out. Nobody would let someone go out there and talk about my God that way. And he gets down there like, who's taking him on? Like, I can't wait to see who's going to. I'm sure there's somebody else just as, a sense, as incensed as I am. And he's running, and i got to believe he throws the basket of cheese and throws the bread and gets rid of the wine because he wants to get down there as fast as possible. And his heart is burning, and it's pounding, and there's someone out there standing against his God. And he gets down there, he's like, can you believe this? Who the heck? Who's going out there? Who's going out there? And you got an army for 30 days, and they're like, uh, um, we haven't decided yet. Shame will shut you down. Shame will shut you down. And so, as Goliath stands there and tries to shame Jehovah, tries to shame the army, we have David who is just driven. Driven. He's driven because he has a pure heart. There is no shame. He, he does what he says. I find it amazing. He takes a stand. He, he uh, goes out there. You know the story. Saul tries to give him his armor. He doesn't take the armor. He goes out there with his sling. He kills Goliath, cuts off his head. Now you got to see this picture, folks. There's this sea of men on this side and a sea of men on that side. And there's a big dude and there's a little boy. And the little boy takes out Goliath takes the sword out because he doesn't have a sword, takes Goliath's sword. I can't even imagine him trying to pick up Goliath's sword. He probably, all he had to do was get it up over his head and then just let the weight of it fall and cuts off Goliath's head. And then what's the next thing he does? He runs at the Philistines. Is that not the ballsiest thing in the world? I mean, excuse my language, but seriously... You go out there, you take out Goliath, which would be enough, I would think. Like, yeah, thank you, thank you. You do the end zone dance, you know, like, yeah, who, yeah. You know, like, what, I don't know what you do for when you kill a Goliath, but. After he takes off his head, he turns a 14-year-old little kid and runs at their army. What? And what happens next? The men follow him. Guys, never let you be the man that follows the boy. Never be the man that follows the boy. Be the man that leads the boy. Kills me when I see a kid who's on fire for God and his dad's about as spiritually excited as a fish. Never be the man who follows the boy. Be the man who leads the boy.
Some of my most cherished memories are when I'm with my boys. We'll be doing something, going somewhere, and we're out in the middle of just the world. And someone will say something, or, you know, there's a need, or there's an issue, and I'll just stop and I'll say, you know what, let's pray right now. And I've just kind of, I, I learned this a long time ago. I can't remember who said it, but they said whenever we'd get into an elevator and I was with my kids, I'd automatically turn to the stranger and say, hi, I'm Garth, how are you? What's your name? Oh, this is my son. And then I'd make my son introduce himself and talk to the person. And he said, at first my kids hated it, but he said, I just wanted them to learn certain traits about how to be a man. And so whenever I heard that years ago, I thought, when I have my boys, I need to teach them certain traits that I want them to carry on. So many times when there's a need, I'll stop and say, okay, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray right now. And my boys are Ryan and Reese. Ryan, Reese, let's lay hands on this person and pray. And like any, you know, 9, 10-year-old kid, actually at 9 and 10, they probably did it a little more than when they were 12 and 13. Like, okay. You're going to follow dad. And regardless, most of the time they follow dad. So it better be, you better be running the right way. I never want my boys to see me ashamed. I never want them to see dad Sunday morning with his war cry and Monday morning quiet, hoping nobody chooses him. What's your view on abortion, Bob? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's a kind of a personal thing. What's your view on how to get to heaven? Do you think Muslims are right? you think Jehovah's Witnesses are right? Are you, are you open to anything? I think we should do this. We, got, we found out something that, well, I don't, it's not really ethical, but it, you run into battle. Yeah, I'm a loud mouth, and I step over the line many times, and I usually am walking around with both feet in my mouth. But I would rather be that, and you know where I stand then worry about being politically correct. I want to be the guy who runs into battle. I want to look back and I want to see my boys following me. I want to see other men following me. It only takes one, gentlemen. Have you ever had one of those experiences where after finally a few years at work or maybe on your softball team or something like that, you start to talk about your faith and all of a sudden you realize there are other Christians? And it just took one person to kind of bring it up. Be that guy. So, when I was in sixth grade, I was, uh, I was always kind of that husky kid. I call it husky. Okay. Big boned. I was a big boned boy. And sixth grade, even compared to the seventh graders and eighth graders, I still pretty well held my own. I was, I was a big kid. And standing in the hall one day, there's a seventh grader. His name's Kenny. Kenny Bischel. Never forget the name. And he said, who do you think the toughest guy in the school is? And as a sixth grade kid, and Kenny wasn't that big of a deal, I said, well, I said, honestly, I'm kind of like one of the biggest guys in school. And I was just kind of talking. Now, at this point, I'm a mama's boy. I am a snot-nosed mama boy. So a few days later, we have lunch, and after lunch, we have an extended recess, and our playground, now the field out here next to your church, it was probably about four times the size of that field. It was huge. Like, I still to this day go, that's not safe. <laughs> you know, when kids go out to the playground and you can't see them when they get to the other side, that's not safe. It's on Sherman Middle School. In fact, you know, Dave knows. Huge field, lunch, recess, and I'm out playing. And like always, you know, I'm as far away as possible. You hear the whistle, and you never want to run to class. You know, I'm slow, kid. I'm not that slow. So I'm just kind of walking. Everyone else is pouring in. And I get about uh, a third of the way through the, this field, and I see these boys coming down this hill. Man, I just, I know what's coming. A pack of eighth grade boys. Now, this is how much it impacted me. Todd Hargett, Ron Ramish, Kenny Bischel, Mike Bischel, Darren Midstocky, and Kenny Midstocky. I still remember them. 
and if I ever find them, no. And they come down the hill, and I immediately remember that conversation from two days before. And they circle around me, and they're saying, so you think you're the toughest? You think you can beat anybody up in school? Which I did not say. I was like, no, I did not say that. Let me paraphrase. Let's all take a seat here for a moment. Uh, and they just started to pummel me. I mean, I had gotten in a few scrapes up to that point, but these boys, they were, they were just vicious. In fact, knowing much about their families, now I understand why. They're punching me and kicking me, and they knocked me to the ground, and at one point they said, hey, let's play tag. And the kid comes up and just kicks me in the chest and goes, tag, you're it. I look back on it, it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, and what's funny is earlier that year, we had summer camp. I had just gotten out of fifth grade. And my dad was the camp pastor for the grade school, middle school, and high school camps. And they are always split up. <clears throat> As the camp pastor's son, I got to go to camp that summer with him all three weeks. On this one particular senior high camp week, I was there, and it was late in the evening, and I just kind of hung out with my dad, you know, watched him do things. I felt kind of cool, you know, this kid who's going into sixth grade gets to hang out with all these high school students. And late that evening, after just about everyone has gone off to their cabin, my dad gets called out to the front, right there, Spencer Lake Youth Camp, right in front of what used to be the children's uh, uh, chapel. And there's a guy out there in this car, and he's yelling, and there are a couple other counselors. They don't know what to do, and my dad walks up there. And as he walks up there, we find out that this guy drove from Madison to get his wife, and he's hammered. And he's like, you give me my wife right now. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm, I'm scared. I've never seen this type of behavior. I've never seen anybody drunk, screaming, yelling. He's threatening everybody. And my dad walks up to him. And now my dad, listen, all I've known of my dad up to this point is he's just a quiet, sweet man. Unless you burn the towels in the bathroom, then you get a little bit of a rise out of him. That's a whole other story. And this guy's yelling and screaming and threatening my dad. And my dad says, sir, I'm going to ask you to get into your car and leave. If you stay here, I'm going to have to call the police. And he's yelling, doesn't even hear him. And my dad says, listen, sir, I'm, I'm you either get in your car and leave or I'm going to call the police. We're not going to tell you where your wife is. And so a couple times she's going to walk to where the women's dorms are. And the counselor's kind of, no, 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 no. He comes back to the car. He's talking to my dad. And my dad says, okay, someone needs to call the police. And as he's saying that, he turns. And this guy hauls off to punch my dad. And in a split second, however the mind works, I'm thinking, oh, my dad. Oh, my poor dad. He doesn't know how to fight. He, he's weak. He's a pastor. He's a pastor. He wears, he wears dockers. You know, you can't fight and wear dockers. It's a rule. And my dad, now back then he's probably 33, maybe. My dad slides his hip, pops this guy in the face, grabs his arm, twists him around, puts him in a full Nelson, and slams his face into the hood of the car. And it was the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. It was Steve McQueen. And he just... I've never seen that look on my dad. I've never seen that look on my dad, and I don't know that I ever want to, but it was cool. I had this whole new respect for my dad. And as I grew up and realized he was a farmer's kid, he was throwing hay at the age of six. I mean, he was a tough dude. And I was like, whoa, my dad is B.A. That's unbelievable. Did you? And I, could, I told people all summer long about that story. And now when people said, my dad can beat up your dad, the response was like, no, my dad can beat up your dad. I was like, oh, no, 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 he couldn't. You get your dad drunk and bring him over to my house someday. I'll show you. <laughs> I'll show you whose dad is tougher. <laughs> so there I am in the schoolyard. I'm like this boiling bubble of pus and snot and blood and tears. And Todd Hargett, the ringleader, the eighth grader, he comes up and he says, all right, listen, I'm going to bend over. You kiss my ass, we'll quit beating you. I go, okay, okay. All right, I will. 
Abraham. I said, I'd kiss his hand. And he bends over, and as he bends over, I look over him, and there's Sherman Highway. I've gone to this school for six years. Sherman Highway, very main road there. It's the road that my parents, we would take back and forth to the church at that time. I many times would be out on the playground, and I would see them, or they'd see me and honk, like, hey, uh, hey, there's mom, there's dad. And as he bent over and I looked on the highway, I had one thought. What if my dad drives by? What if I'm bending over, kissing this guy's behind, and my dad drives by? I just felt I would never, ever be able to hold my head up in front of my dad again. Because I saw my dad would take it, man. He'd stand up to whoever, whatever. And so this guy bent over, and in a split second, it must have been a Holy Spirit movement. I hauled up and kicked this guy in the balls as hard as I could. Now, depending on how hard you kick, you have to either use balls or testicles. It was hard. So it was balls. He doubles up, falls over, crying in pain, just, ah! And then I turn around and I just start kicking butt and taking names. No, I had my head handed to me. No. Everyone kind of stood there for a second like, what? And then the next 10 minutes, they just beat the living snot out of me. Two black eyes, bloody nose, beat everything. And for the rest of the beating... I kid you not, for the rest of the beating, I laughed my head off through the whole thing. I remember going, bam! And this kid just doubles up, falls over, screaming in pain. They start beating me. All fear is gone. All fear has left my body. I'm getting punched in the face, kicked, thrown to the ground, laughing my head off. Here's my only thought. I cannot wait to tell Dad. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell him, Dad, you're never going to guess what. And you know what? Funny thing is I, I did. I went home. I told him. Obviously, I'd been in a fight. He put his arms around me, hugged me, kissed me right here on the neck, said, I'm proud of you, son. I love you. Don't ever let anybody push you around like that. See, there's a moment in our lives, gentlemen, where we go, if I do this, will I ever be able to raise my head before God? Or will I continue to walk in shame? Or am I going to do the right thing? See, once you break free of that shame of being a godly man, all fear has left the building. See, some of us have never taken that step, so we've never really truly experienced what it's like to be free from shame and that fear. Again, fear turns into shame. And when you take that step and you say, I'm going to do the right thing, say the right thing, I'm no longer going to give my war cry Sunday morning or at men's Bible study or Wednesday night and then walk out and just be quiet and sit there. I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do, say what I'm supposed to say. When you take that step, fear disappears. When David ran at that army, those men began to run, and I am sure the fear just dissipated and just dropped off of them. We can no longer live our lives ashamed. Don't be the man that follows the boy. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning, we all struggle with this to some degree or another, but Lord, this morning... We must make a dramatic choice, a dramatic step to push off shame, to go against fear, and to be that person who steps out and runs at the enemy. Doesn't put up, doesn't hide, doesn't meander, doesn't justify, doesn't hope for someone else, but we simply say, today's the day I'm running at the enemy. In your holy name, amen. Okay, well, there's more to come. He's going to have another session later. And this is a good time to mention it that um, Garth is preaching here at Christian Life Church tonight at 6 o'clock. And tomorrow morning he'll be preaching at 9.30. Um, I don't know if he'll say balls or ass uh, during our regular church services. No. But, uh, I get paid if I <laughs>
unless he's talking about Balaam, maybe, I don't know. But uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, if you guys want to get more of what Carr's saying, you know, you can come back during our regular services this weekend. Uh, I want my four breakout sessions to come on up and just have a seat right in the front row here. I'm going to introduce those guys to you. Um, we're going to be dismissing, and the breakout sessions are all going to be down the hall and to the right. We'll have a couple of guys staged out there to direct everyone to go. Uh, for those of you guys who came in a little bit late, just to, so you know, out these doors and to the left are the bathrooms. All the sessions will be down the hall. There'll be guys guiding you down there. Uh, first guy I want to have come up, uh, Chris Holman, if you would. Uh, I'm not going to, their, their bios are all in the bulletin, so you can read about it. I'm not going to take a lot of time to do that. Um, Chris has just been, a, I mean, all four of these men, very impactful in my life. It's one of those things, they've all affected me in a really good way, so I want their message to be able to get out to you guys. And, you know, what Garth was talking about, men leading their boys, you know, what do you think about abortion? What do you think about whatever, fill in the blank, um, compared to religions, cults, all those things? Well, Chris is a great guy that knows about critical thinking. And I'm excited for him to be able to share with you guys on having influence in our culture. So Chris is just going to take a minute to talk about his session. I don't know how many stories I'm going to have for you. Um, I got Daniel to talk to you about, though, six of them. And uh, I'm going to do a lot of declaring of what God can do in your life and what God can do through one person, uh, you, when you're really dedicated to making a difference in your culture. And um, we're going to find a way to not back down. All right. So you can go ahead. Once you guys are done, you can make your way down to your class and get ready there. Okay, next, Jim, if you'd come up. Uh, Jim has been just a, an awesome influence in my life. Um, you know, it's said that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Well, Jim has been a part of my life for, I don't know, we've been in a, a, a small uh, accountability group, um, just friendship. I mean, we've been doing this for, gosh, 16 years, something like that. So Jim knows a lot about me. So if you want to get any dirt, just talk to him. Uh, but Jim, there, there's that part of it. But Jim also, he's uh, the COO of Lou Malnati's. He did not bring samples, so don't go rush into that class. Um, but he's, what's impressed me through Jim is beyond the title on that is his work ethic. And so when I thought of someone to talk about influence in the workplace, he's a man of faith, but he's an extreme, or I shouldn't say but, I should say and, he's an extremely hard worker. So Jim's going to introduce his session. Morning. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about um, faith in the workplace. Um, I was the beneficiary of being on both sides of the coin. Um, I became a, a believer 16 years ago. Um, and so I was witness to in our workplace and now am uh, the witnesser, the witnessy. I've been on both sides. So just like to share my story and some of the uh, things that have um, been influential and that I've kind of used going forward too. So look forward to talking to some of you guys uh, later in the morning about that. Thanks, Jim. And all the room numbers, well, you'll see. There's big signs down the hallway where they're going to be. Um, next one is uh, Russ Bechtold. Go ahead and come on up here. All right. Well, if you notice a resemblance, um, not in the hair. He's got much better hair than me. But uh, th this is my father. Bechtold's work cheap, so I got a couple of them to come out and talk to you guys. Um, but this is my dad, and he's going to be talking about influence in the family. There was no person that I was going to pick uh, to talk about influence in the family. And uh, he's the best man at my wedding. He's my best friend, and he continues to be my biggest mentor in my life. So uh, I guarantee if you go to hear about influence in the family, you're going to get some gold to take with you. I mean, come on, look how I turned out. So, so I will let, uh, will let him talk now and have the final word. Well, I feel like I got the easiest session to do because we can be an influence in our families without even being there. So I asked myself, I love to ask myself questions because the answers are so brilliant. But uh, 
what are the most important influences we'd want to be in our family? And I've come up with two. You'll have to come to my session to find out what they are. All right. And finally, um, well, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and there's a brother that, well, just a brother. So come on up, David. And uh, David has a passion for life. He's got a passion for people. And if I were to read off the list, I mean, he could have his own bulletin of the things that he's involved with. And he's not concerned with titles. He's just concerned about people. And so the dad's at Dave's and he runs out of his garage every Wednesday morning. I mean, he's involved in the schools. He has great relationship with the principals, uh, mostly because his kids are in trouble all the time. But uh, that's their uncle's influence. And Dave is passionate about people. And so I'm excited for him to share that with you guys as he talks about influence in the community. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I just don't think it's an accident that each one of us is putting our neighborhoods and our schools and the places that we work uh, and the places that we spend time with for a reason. You guys know people that I'll never meet. I know people that I don't want you to meet. And um, so uh, we're putting these places for a reason. And I'm going to share a lot of stories. And hopefully these stories are just going to give you some ideas of some habits and ways that we can actually make a difference with the people that we see at the coffee shop, at Home Depot, um, places at work, at school, just the people in our neighborhood, just real simple things that can actually just take our awareness one step deeper um, to the people around us and actually make a difference instead of just being the nice guy or the jerk, whatever it is, take it one step farther and uh, impact people that you see every day. I'm going to be right here. All right. Thank you, David. Yes, he will be... Uh leading the session in here. So um, how we're doing this, we're doing one session which goes from 9.15 to 10 o'clock. Taking a 15 minute break, we're doing the sessions over. So that way you get to pick two of these and they're just going to be doing the same ones twice in a row. Um, my dad, that'll be good for him because he forgets. So, uh, well he's gone, right? Yeah. So just do the same thing twice in a row. So feel free to just take whatever two you want. Um, we're going to dismiss you now. We're going to start the sessions at 9.15. They only got 45 minutes to get all this in there. Feel free to reload on food out there. Uh, one other thing, I've got a few of these uh, Men of Valor polo shirts that are left uh, behind. They're out on the table. We're clearing them out for 10 bucks. If you want one of those, um, just stop by uh, our handsome cashier out there on the way out. So. Uh, 9.15, your session start. Thanks, guys.